the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base 10 times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. 
Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. We've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Uh, every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco, and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shot. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Oh, yeah. It goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned and operated food cooperative located at 1745 Folsom Street in the Mission District of San Francisco. Let's hear what locals have to say about Rainbow Grocery. Hello. I love their, their variety of cheese and home decor items uh, and this of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane. I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill everyone's dietary needs. They don't have meat. Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco staple since 1975. For all your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com. Read fiction about... Well, hello and welcome to Women's Magazine. It is Friday, February 
23rd, 2018. This is Global Val Hill here. Thank you so much for tuning in to mutinyradio.fm this afternoon. We're broadcasting live from the Mission District as we do every Friday. So thanks again for tuning in. I have a great, uh, very special guest today. Um, uh, Ollie Mae Trost Welch is going to be my guest today. Uh, she is a playwright and a poet and a short story writer and an all around bright light. Um, so we're going to have a treat today. We're going to be actually reading some of her one act plays. So I'm going to play a little music um, per request, per Ollie's request. We're going to play a little Patsy Cline and then we'll be right back to uh, jump into some of these really interesting one act plays that she's written. Welcome back to Women's Magazine. Thanks for tuning in. And I'd like to welcome my guest today, Ollie May Trost-Welch. Welcome, Ollie. Hello. Val and I will be reading my three one-act plays. The first one is based on the playwright George Bernard Shaw. Shaw was a lifelong atheist. And in my play, Shaw dies and finds himself 
in heaven. He has a conversation with God. Note, Shaw's opening soliloquy is taken in small part from Archibald Henderson's biography titled George Bernard Shaw, Man of the Century. I will be reading the part of Shaw and Val will be reading the part of God. And now the play called simply Shaw. Extra, extra, read all about it. George Bernard Shaw dead at age 94. Shaw leaves the final preface for all mankind. Extra, extra, read all about it. Now, Shaw speaks. You're not looking at a caricature of George Bernard Shaw. You're looking at the real thing. You know, I've never had much faith in doctors, especially on knowing when a body's dead. I'm not about to let that doctor get the last word. Expect my elocutionist impulses to last for some time. I'll have you know I'm neither ready nor willing to die. Though I admit the possibility of imminent death certainly gives one something more to think about. Mother always said I was a chronic procrastinator. Well, now there comes a time in a man's life when only the impossible is interesting. I remember dreaming one night as a child that I had died and gone to heaven. I was in such a waiting room as this, and God was in the next room. I was supposed to await him with enthusiasm and joyful anticipation, but my heart sank, for he would soon discover that I had come to heaven by mistake. But I awoke before meeting God, and to this very day, I claim exemption from heaven as being an atheist and socialist. George Bernard Shaw, God here. Welcome. Welcome to your new home in heaven. Heaven? Heavens, no. I must be dreaming. Yes, indeed. I must be dreaming. And you... You can't be God. You're so, so ordinary looking. Well, remember, I created man in my own image. Remember. This is outrageous. There must be some mistake. I proclaimed since childhood that I would never be a candidate for heaven and hastened to claim honorable ex exemption as atheist and socialist and vegetarian. May I call you Shaw? I, I'm afraid you're stuck here. You'll just have to make the best of it, Shaw. Just think of it. Where else could you meet up with the likes of Joan of Arc and your mentors, Mozart, Michelangelo, and Moliere, with Shakespeare, Chaucer, and Dante, with Homer, Socrates, and Plato? I could go on and on. Now, I ask you, Shaw, where else could you be with such rich company? What about Ibsen? Is he here in heaven? I would cherish a conversation with Ibsen. 
Yes, yes, yes. You know, Shaw, Mark Twain once said, there is no humor in heaven. Yet today we are blessed by a very funny man, George Bernard Shaw, who once said, quote, fashion is nothing but an induced epidemic. <laughs> Trying to flatter me, huh? Suppose you are God for the sake of argument. A couple of questions come to mind, if I may. What do you think of Darwin's theories? Oh, only an Englishman could have had such a rich imagination. What about natural disasters on Earth? You seem to have little influence over them. As you may imagine, Shaw, I watch over endless planets, you know. Earth is a relatively young planet, which, by the way, accounts for all of its turbulence. Mother Nature will subdue her in time, and her restlessness will calm down. You know, someone Earth called me Prophet. What do you make of that? Ah, yes, indeed. I, too, call you prophet, for you have practiced untiringly your gift of more than ordinary moral insight and foresight. You had a passion for improving humanity. Does God have the power to guide the history of mankind on earth? I'm afraid man's fate is in his own hands. I can only hope to sway him through cosmic love, to guide him toward peace through love. Throughout the ages, man has been on the defensive. In time, he will learn there is no need to distrust his fellow man or his neighbor. The Buddhists have a wonderful saying. It goes like this, quote, there is no person I do not love. There is no person I do not trust. There is no person I do not forgive. A very enlightened approach to social life. Man has everything he needs to create a heaven on earth. I believe he will in time. By the way, Shaw, here in heaven, we're all vegetarian. If you are God, and I'm really stuck here, I have a favor to ask. If I should live in this skin for all eternity, I don't want to do it as a frail old man of 94. You know, age 69 was an epitome for me. I'll tell you why. That was my age in 1925. The year... The year you won the Nobel Prize for Literature, following the publication of your play, St. Joan. Was that what you were going to say? Well, um, yes. I wasn't sure you knew about that. Well, I am God, after all. Hmm. Anyway, age 69 would be ideal for me. Not 94, for heaven's sake. No doubt I would act much the same, but something of my youth would still be with me. When I see you next, I wouldn't be surprised to find you in a somewhat younger man, Shaw. I'm afraid I must run now. Shaw sits like the thinker. Suddenly he jerks to attention, looks to his left, then to his right. Then for a moment he looks straight ahead, his eyes popping, his hands to his face, and jumps up. It's me. I'm 69 again. Oh, sweet flower of youth. By God, he really is God. He is my friend. He is my mentor. And to think I question his substance all these years, his existence. Shaw, you won't be needing that cane ever again.
And that was play number one called Shaw by Ali May, Ali May Trost Welch. And uh, that was a, a great little play. And that actually won an award, I believe, that play. And it was shown at the Marin Fringe Festival a couple years back. So I'm going to play a little music, musical interlude before we come back with the next play in which uh, Einstein talks to God. So here's another request from Ollie, another personal favorite. Busted flat in Baton Rouge, waiting for a train, and I was feeling near as faded as my jeans. Bobby thumbed a diesel down just before it rained. They rode us all the way into New Orleans. I pulled my harpoon out of my dirty red bandana. I was playing soft while Bobby sang the blues. When she wiped her slapping time, I was holding Bobby's hand in mine. We sang every song that Javin knew.
Women's Magazine here at MutinyRadio.fm. I'm here with my guests today, Ollie Mae Trost-Welch, playwright. We just read her one-act play, Shaw, and now we're going into her second one-act play, Einstein Meets God. When the stage lights go up, God is already seated on a couch. Einstein soon enters soon enters carrying his violin. His left hand is on his unlit pipe, which is always in his mouth, except when he is speaking. He looks all around the stage. This is divine. This is heavenly. Can this be heaven? If this is heaven, then you, then you must be God. Ah, sit. What? I'm not a dog. I'm Albert Einstein. By the way, are there no reporters in heaven? Don't tell me, dear God, that I have finally escaped the press, and you have come to meet me instead. By the way, this is my companion, my violin, Lena. I can play something for you if you like. Not just now, Einstein. Not just now. I should explain that my pipe is unlit. I'm sure smoking is not allowed in heaven. You need not worry. I haven't smoked for the past three years, though I'm fond of holding on to my unlit pipe, you see. I need to explain something else. Regarding my religious view, many times I have experienced cosmic religious feelings, but I belong to no religion. Many scientists are agnostic, it seems. Now, tell me about your enthusiasm for the physical sciences. I have always had the greatest respect for the mystery of the universe. You know, God, while on Earth, I unravel some of the mystery. I proclaim my theories on many aspects in physics, exploring questions of space-time, energy, and matter such as the dual nature of light, of gravitation, special relativity came first, and then general relativity. It was said that I had no peer except you, God. They called me the cosmic saint. I was also a philosopher and a philanderer. Well, your thirst for knowledge, for truth, goodness and beauty brought you fame. You had compassion, that is true. Sometimes geniuses have more than the usual capacity for compassion, but not always. I was born to be a scientific thinker. The creative principle arides, resides in mathematics. In a certain sense, pure thought can grasp reality as the ancient stream. The cosmic Religious feeling is the strongest and noblest incitement to scientific research. My religious feeling takes the form of a rapturous amazement at the harmony of natural law. It has been said that we must become aware of the harmony of nature and the possibility of understanding that harmony. After many years of research, I came to the same conclusion as Charles Darwin had, though in a different field of science. 
that everything was synchronized by certain laws of harmony throughout the universe. You've said it yourself, Einstein. Reality is more complicated, more beautiful than science. Though science is undeniably a great thing. Both you and Darwin craved silence and solitude so as to think undisturbed. Yes, now that you say it, I recognize that it's also close to what Shakespeare said. Quote, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. You geniuses always quote each other. Fortunately, I don't have to. In my earlier days, when I was dabbling into my inventions, I always asked myself, would these improvements advance and advances actually contribute to the well-being of mankind? But what good are formulas if they don't stop people from killing one another? Einstein quietly picks up his violin. Oh, no, no, not, not just yet, Einstein. We have not finished our conversation. You lived a spectacular life. If everybody lived a life like mine, there would be no need for novels. Yet it has been said that a genius is the loneliest person in the world. Still, in your case, you craved solitude. The gift of a compass when you were five years old sparked your imagination. No one seems to say, I wish I had been born an Einstein. Instead, they all say, I wish I had Einstein's brain. While you dreamed of a classless society, Einstein, you also thought world peace could be achieved if nations no longer had borders. You believed in world government. You were an ardent pacifist. But some wars are necessary. Hitler had to be stopped. Even I could see that. Sometimes I did play dice with the universe, after all. Now Einstein speaks to the audience. Never do anything against your conscience, even if the state demands it. The upper half plans and thinks, while the lower half determines our fate. Man is a moral being. He is judged by the choices he makes. Man is capable of being noble and often is. Only a life lived for others is a life worthwhile. What is the role of evil in your creation? Because man has free will, he is as free to choose evil as he is to choose good. But goodness always comes out ahead of evil because it is more rational and more in harmony with the universe. Now you sound like me or Newton and Galileo. By the way, are they here in heaven? I would cherish a conversation with them. Yes, and I'm sure they're looking forward to meeting you. Did you know, Einstein, that Galileo was born the day Michelangelo died? The torch of genius was passed on, that flame of inspiration. Galileo was born the same year as Shakespeare. Sir Isaac Newton was born the year that Galileo died. The torch was passed on. Did you know that Shakespeare and Cervantes, who wrote Don Quixote, died on the same day? That Charles Darwin was born the day Abraham Lincoln was born? that George Bernard Shaw was born the same year as Sigmund Freud. I record these events to pass the time. Some of these geniuses almost seem condescending, including you, Einstein. But, as God, I am not only omnipotent, but 
all suffering too. I must endure your pride. One thing about being God, I don't need to be proud. I know what I've done. You human creatures are always trying to show that you're worthy, that you're great, that there's a reason for your pride. I have learned to accept that. Well, yes, I suppose that's what we humans do. And one other thing, Einstein, in all your utterances, however beautiful and however cognizant of human limitations, you always make the point that you're religious in spite of everything. And that the mystery of the world, which you apprehend, makes you, despite the evidence, almost a religious man. And you find fault with that? Yes. It's as if you're saying, I believe in everything except God. I practice a religion without acknowledging God. And now you want me to bend my knee and acknowledge you. You can skip the knee bending. But in a word, yes. I must think about that. Meanwhile... This discussion makes me feel right at home here. I have never felt at home in any of the many, many places I have lived. Anyway, I have found a permanent home here in heaven at last. I'm glad you feel that way. By the way, you geniuses are not the only ones that are creative. I'm known to be creative myself. While you're here, Einstein, you will learn that you are in a cosmic drama. What do you mean? Einstein turns to the audience. God is subtle, but he is not malicious. I will now teach you what it means to be in heaven. Get ready for even more directions. Now, would you, now, would you play something for me on your violin? <laughs> and that was Einstein Meets God by Ali, Ali May Trost Welch. And we're going to go right into the third one-act play. Darwin meets God. God and Darwin enter together. They are walking and talking. Darwin carries several books in his arms. Now Darwin speaks. So this is Heaven's Grand Boulevard. Eh, God? Yes, Darwin. What do you think of it? It's magnificent. There's so much harmony here in heaven. And speaking of harmony, that's what we hear when the angels sing. By the way, God, your boulevards here in heaven were not paved by slaves. Of this I am certain. You are quite right, Darwin. Slavery has no place in heaven, nor any place at all. You and your family on both sides hated slavery and cruelty of any form. Your hatred of slavery helped bring about your convictions on human evolution. From beginning to end, you have been a true humanitarian. Your motivation was always pure. Your appetite led the way. And against great odds, you had confidence in your vision. Well, God, I'm grateful for the compliments. I actually expected you to, expected you to be critical. Critical? Well, yes, I, I, mean, I am, but not of your exemplary life. But, you know, you created an intellectual revolution. You start, startled the world with a new way of seeing life on Earth. Your book provoked the most cataclysmic change in human thinking within the past 400 years, if not 2,000 years. Then what? I did state that the question of God's existence was beyond the scope of man's intellect. 
You did not seem to realize that you would lessen people's trust in me, their belief, their hope. With the greatest respect in God, I did. <laughs> yes, but it did not deter you. Are you saying I should not have propounded the truth as I saw it? No, or maybe no and yes. In the final analysis, you might have seen that in the end, in the future, science lessened people's faith, their hope, and even joy. True, I became aware of that, but I can't say it would have deterred me. And maybe it should have. I must say, Darwin, with all your material wealth, you could have lived any life you desired. Instead, you spent your life collecting specimens along with reading science books, taking notes, and writing. You have no peer, Darwin, when it comes to enthusiasm and dedication. My ill health prevented me from many social obligations, but this gave me more time for my work. I was never happy except when at work. Your contributions of new knowledge to geology, botany, animal behavior, reproductive biology, and dozens of other fields has never been equaled. You are not the first to discover evolution, but you are by far the most persuasive, unleashing a tidal wave in Western thought. I see you have already paid a visit to our library. You always were an avid reader. That's Patron. You know, God, theory is worthless without the well-observed facts. Facts are useless without the frame of theory to receive them. All scientific work requires both theory and fact-finding, a unity of origin, a common descent I've retained as the foundation of my later evolution theories. By the way, God, atheist friends of mine were happy individuals. They were thoughtful, responsible citizens. Even though they did not believe in you or in an afterlife, I must add that beauty is a magnet throughout the universe, the great unifying principle. Your reasoning is distinguished, but I think you're wrong about atheists being happy. Most of them are not. I'm inclined to believe that education an environment produce only a small effect on the mind of anyone, and that most of our qualities are innate. You know, my father heard that I did not like the thought of being a physician, so he proposed that I should become a clergyman. I did not then in the least doubt the strict and literal truth of every word of the Bible. It never struck me how illogical it was to say that I believed in what I could not understand and what is, in fact, unintelligible. Considering how fiercely I have been attacked by the Orthodox, it seems ludicrous that I once intended to be a clergyman. Nor was this intention, my father's wish, ever formally given up, but died a natural death when I joined the Beagle as naturalist. Those five years aboard the Beagle were the far most important in my life and determined my whole career. Looking backwards, I can now perceive how my love for science gradually became dominant over every other taste. I'm not apt to follow blindly the lead of other men. I have steadily endeavored to keep my mind free.
Your love of close observation of natural fact and your need for a theory to explain everything you saw constitutes your genius. From your early youth, you had the strongest desire to understand and to explain whatever you observed. Your childhood fantasies were concerned with fabulous discoveries in natural history. I took much pleasure in watching birds and made notes on the subject. I remember wondering why every gentleman did not become an ornithologist. By the way, are Galileo and Newton here? I would love a conversation with them. And Abraham Lincoln as well, that visionary prophet I call him. You will recall, God, that I was born on the very same day as Lincoln. Uh, okay, but you're changing the subject, Darwin. You continue to overlook one thing. It's not that I need or even want people to love me or to bow down to me or worship me. It's that they, it's that they need to love me and need to have something larger than themselves in their lives. They need their hope, their faith, and if they don't have it, they become despondent and despairing. During your life, you doubted me. You doubted my existence, but you had your great work. Your faith was in your research, in your thought, in your quest for understanding. Most people don't have that. They need me, and they're happier having me. And you see, I really am here. So while your search was truly important and led you to one truth, it did not lead you to the whole truth. I'm pleased to come face to face with you, God. For many years, I was indeed a skeptic. But in the end, I was agnostic and entertained the possibility of a God. I came to view the Bible as so much mythology, but I believe of all the animals, man has a conscience and is a moral being. Natural selection was the breakthrough concept that could make transmutation possible, even irresistible to skeptics. All species have evolved from common ancestral lines with natural selection as a major driving mechanism. Oh, now I'll round up these gentlemen you asked to meet. Wait here. Yes, I'll wait here. He then speaks to the audience. I opened the world's eyes to evolution. Still, we humankind are not capable of discovering or uncovering just how life began on this planet. It is very, very likely that my theory is correct, but it is impossible for me or for anyone to prove it. The theory of evolution does not render us less human than we were. Instead, the insight it provides into man's place in nature shows us to be far more human than we ever realized. And as you can see, I've already been proved wrong in one way. Who would have thought it? Who actually was sure that God existed? Only God. <coughs> and that was the third one-act play. Uh, thank you, Ollie Welch, for being here today. It's such a pleasure. It's a pleasure to read these plays with you. I, I, I'm happy to be a part of this production. Um, so you've written these three plays, 
uh, one with George Bernard Shaw, who was a lifelong atheist, socialist, and as you mentioned in the play, vegetarian, uh, speaking with God. And then Einstein and Darwin, these, uh, you know, mathematicians, scientists having conversations with God. What was your inspiration for writing these plays? Well, I was doing some research on Joan of Arc when I came across Shaw's play, St. Joan. I read the play, loved it, and thereafter focused my attention on George Bernard Shaw. I began reading that huge volume, The Authorized Biography of Shaw, by the American physicist Archibald Henderson. I came to that passage where Shaw says he had a dream that he had died and gone to heaven. I thought that would be a great idea for a play. (coughs) My research began, and I wrote a long play about it. My play is 11 scenes, entitled St. Bernard. I submitted it to the Berkeley Repertory Theater, and their reader said that my play was written with passion. The one-act play read here today was pulled out of the longer play. The short play was performed at Dominican University and won six awards. That evening of the awards, an acquaintance of mine suggested I write a similar play based on Albert Einstein. I thought that was a great idea, and so my research began. As for Darwin, I felt his history would be most interesting in a confrontation with God. Again, I did a great deal of research on Darwin. Well, I, I definitely noticed in that in the Darwin play that it is more c- confrontational of, of a conversation, um, but uh, fittingly so considering the, the impact of the theory of evolution on Western thought and on uh, the way that people now perceive uh, life and uh, the origins of life and the future of life on this planet. So... Ali Mae Trostwelch, it is always a pleasure to see you. And I'm always impressed and amazed by the things that you're doing. I know that you're actively writing poetry almost every day and maybe even have some more plays in the works. So I'll be happy to have you come in next time that you're ready to share uh, some of your work with us here on Women's Magazine and uh, with our audience uh, listening somewhere around the planet on mutinyradio.fm. Thank you, Ollie. And uh, to wrap up this segment here, I'll play a little more music uh, per request, and then I'm going to come back at the in just a couple minutes and read you a poem that I wrote recently. I'd like to do a song of great social and political import. It goes like this. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. 
time, no help from my friends. So, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? Dialing four dollars is trying to find me. I wait for delivery each day until three. So, oh Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? I'm counting on you, Lord. Please don't let me down. Prove that you love me and buy the next round. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a night on the town? Everybody, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. So, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? That's it. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Women's Magazine this afternoon. It was a pleasure to read these three one-act plays by Ollie May Trost Welch and uh, look forward to having another installment at some time in the future. And I'd like to read a poem uh, that um, I wrote the other morning, kind of waking up from a dream. And this is uh, kind of what came out of that. So this is dedicated to the, cre the creative force in all of us. May art spark forth from you as if forged by the burrowing of a God come to mine your depths and the flare of its dynamite and lanterns sent up heat to carry through your being until you are bleeding or weeping. Trails of which now forming the beds of rivers and the alchemy of minerals streaking through the hidden hills, fortified yet fluid. Culverts catching the torrents and the errant drops that fall after all the smoky clouds have been broken. And the silt of the volcanic explosion returns to be culled and counted as among the source of things. I'm Global Val. Thank you so much for joining me today on Women's Magazine, a very special edition with Ollie Welch here. And uh, please do stay tuned. Mutiny Radio continues on this Friday afternoon with the Common Thread Collective starting at three o'clock. That's a big community open mic. You're welcome to come down to share your music, your poetry, your plays, your activism, and uh, your uh, love of community. And uh, just enjoy the afternoon with us. We're here every Friday from three to six for the Common Thread Collective. And we're at the corner of 21st and Florida Streets in the Mission District of San Francisco. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Stay tuned. And also, if you're looking to uh, hear more about what Mutiny Radio is up to, coming up on March 1st, there's going to be the third annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. It's going to be five days, five shows each day. There's over 40 comics who have been uh, brought together um, up on various themes uh, to, to share their comedic arts with you so come on down you can support mutiny radio uh, come on buy a ticket uh, go to our website mutinyradio.fm you'll see the whole lineup you can buy pre-sale tickets there um, which would be great so we know how many people are coming it is an intimate audience size of about 30 people so 
uh, you might get lucky and show up at the door and have, have tickets or seats available too, but it would be great to know who's coming so that uh, we can get things rolling around here. So peace to everyone. And again, I uh, hope you're all doing well out there. Stay warm, stay close. And remember, just when your aspirations seem outrageous, like maybe I'll write a play about an atheist talking to God, just know inspiration is contagious. Peace and thank you.
selected Boys would be dipping, pure hot intellectin' The minds of the masses would all stay erectin' Then just for kicks, I mail out some checks Address to those who sent the use latex And yes, that's what I would do if I was sex And the things they teach A war for the last 500 years uh -huh. A war's just messing up the atmosphere Rude. A war on Muslims A war on Jews What? A war on Christians and Hindus A whole lot of people saying kill them all They got a war on Mumia, Abu Jamal The war on pop is a war that's fair A 